This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Oh, Shag, I'm in the phase of parenthood where I'm remembering earlier advice of the way to listen to rap music with a lot of swear words with your children is to listen to the instrumentals. <laughs> and then when you rap a similar verse or similar chorus over it, they're like, oh, amazing, Dad. How did you come up with that? And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I just came up with it. I'm, I'm a genius. It's good. Oh. So we're working through all of those early Kanye instrumentals at the moment. It's good fun. I mean, I love the creativity on show there, Paige. Uh, I, work in, I work in a creative field and mm. the more I work there and the more I work in a mm. corporate creative field, because let's be honest, it's, it is very mm. much that, I find myself using the terms that young me would have paid myself out for using. So, you know, whenever people share those memes where it's like, shoot me if I ever say, let's circle back on this or something. It's like, yeah, close the loop. I've done a lot of loop closing in the last few weeks. Love closing that fucking loop. And often the way that happens is you use Mm. them ironically. You're like, oh, guys, let's close the loop on this. And then you're like, oh, guys, let's close the loop on this. Is the way it actually becomes useful. (laughs) This is the conversation you and I were having about Rumsfeld. Like, known unknowns is a good and useful concept. And just because you don't like his politics, like it's it's a good idea. Let's talk about those known unknowns. Uh, also, he just died. Yeah, pull one. Well, I, I don't pull one out for <laughs> Rumsfeld. He can fuck off. <laughs> Eat shit, Rumsfeld. But anyway, so so speaking of all those words we use, a hmm. word I use all the fucking time is organically. Yeah, and I don't use it in the proper way about organic matter. <laughs> I use it in the way when. Things happen because of natural human behavior and the way people act normally, Mm. rather than things appearing because of some outside stimuli. So something that happened organically to me over the past week or two, which I'm really excited about, Mm. is I managed to do something that as a podcast, even after we address the issue, we still haven't been able to keep on top of, which is acknowledging the work of female and female identifying horror directors. Strongly agree. It is a ridiculously male-dominated genre when it comes to the directing side of things, which is a shame because it's just it's not a it's not a hyper-masculine genre. In fact, it's a genre where you're kind of allowed to be yourself. Mm. It's a genre where you're allowed to let your freak flag fly, and it's a genre where you're never the most popular genre in the room. So it doesn't have that intense you know, patriarchal lens over it all the time. So it's, it is it is a shame that it's hard for us to really follow the work of female horror directors as, you know, as much as we'd like by just, mm. do, by just you know, finding the films we do normally, which is, you know, looking what's, uh, what's trending, looking at what's popular, looking at things that have been suggested to us. Mm. So I'm just so excited 
that this film came to me organically because we were on holidays uh, the past week. Mm-hmm. And you know how there's that, there's that phenomenon where films, when you're watching them on a plane, for example, mm. you have like a heightened emotional response to it. 100%. Now, I actually looked into this because I knew that surely someone would have made a study around this. They call the phenomena altitude-adjusted lacrimosity syndrome, or AALS. I had a terrible, um, terrible incidence of AALS that's like a formative one for my media consumption career that I'd never seen the end of the British Office TV series until I had the last two episodes that I watched on a plane by myself, having not seen my family for like six weeks. And I was like broken by the reunion between Tim and Dawn at the end that I was like, I will never hear a song as important as Yazoo's like, only you, A-A-L-S, I feel you, Shag, yes. Up in that plane, the emotions, they ride high. Well, you. Uh, what's interesting is there was a study a couple of years ago where they were not able to, to, to determine that it existed. They were kind of saying, we're not sure, like we don't see any evidence that it's a real thing. Mm. What we have seen is people in strange exposure circumstances. So, for example, on a plane, if you're on a like a long flight mm. and you don't have a small child, you're more likely to watch a year's worth of cinema going in a day. You know, and okay. it's it's a weird it's a weird kind of exposure, which is why you might have strange reactions to it. So, with that in mind, mm. I think that explains then. Why also, when you're on holidays, like at any point in my life, I can open my phone and watch any movie that's ever been made. I can watch some movies that have never been released. I can probably somehow watch films that are about to be released. Like my like my phone... You can make your just, own movie. I can make my own... My phone is my doorway to watch anything. But yet somehow... When you go to a hotel and you turn on the movie channel, you're like, oh, they've got these <laughs> movies, have they? Ooh, that's interesting. You know, that is a real yeah. phenomenon, right? Yeah, yeah, hugely, hugely agree. Anyway, so that happened. You know, we're in this hotel and we're like, oh, let's watch the movie channel. And the movie we ended up watching was a action horror movie directed by a Chinese New Zealand director named Roseanne Liang, starring Chloe Grace Moretz, which I don't know if it was because I was watching it on holiday, but I loved it so much. It has gotten almost no press or no exposure really anywhere that I can see. And I want to use this episode of the pod to not just expose you to a pretty awesome action horror movie, but also just to tell the world about Shadow in the Cloud. Commission to this flight. Captain! We haven't got time for this right now. Put her in the sperry until we get up in the air. I'm supposed to guard this. I'll guard it for you. Contents are confidential. Sir, requesting permission to fire on an enemy attacker. You wouldn't even know how to fire a gun. I was being polite. Ah! She hit him! She was right! Who the hell are you, Miss Garrett? What is did you hear that? What the hell is that racket? There's something on top of the plane. Something on the goddamn charge. No! 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 Here they come. Get down! 
irregularity started with that package. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Strap in. Yes, ma'am. Oh. <laughs> so until recently, I thought my favorite piece of media content that I was ever going to see was a TikTok of someone playing 26 seconds of saxophone over the little bridge in Ms. Jackson, which I think is, I would have watched it 70 times, 80 <laughs> times maybe. <laughs> and I think I can hum along with the saxophone on it. But Shag, like that, that trailer genuinely competes with it. That was thrilling. And why do I know Chloe, Chloe Grace Moretz? She's super charismatic. This is really exciting. So Chloe Grace Moretz is one of those child stars who has grown up but still kind of looks like a It's just, it's weird being a child star and when they grow up, like you, like I will always assume she's like four years old. No, and I don't mean four years old. I would always assume she's like 10. What like no in? matter how old she grows. She was in uh, Kick-Ass and Kick-Ass 2. You know those movies okay. where it's about superheroes but they're actually real and they're hyper-violent? She's been in quite a lot of movies. In fact, why don't you just quickly Google Chloe Grace Moretz and you'll just and just look at some of the Should films she's been in. I might even Wikipedia it. I'm just gonna keep singing the saxophone solo that goes over um uh, Miss Jackson. The Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt. What? Oh, Chris Pratt looks really weird. Ooh, Shadow in the Cloud, Gaslight. What is that, a TV series? What? Oh, she's voices. She's in BoJack Horseman. I love BoJack Horseman. She voices Wednesday Adams. She's in Suspiria, Shag. She's in Suspiria. Bad Neighbours. I feel like I've seen Bad Neighbours. 30 Rock. I must know it from 30 Rock, surely. Because I can't really put too many more of these together. She is also yeah. one of those stars where if you if if you tell someone Chloe Grace Moretz, they're like, yeah, of course. And you're like, where did you see her in? And it's like, oh. Heaps of stuff. Heaps of stuff. Heaps well, of stuff. Heaps she's of awesome stuff. and super charismatic and we love her here on Spooko and we love this movie. I'm really excited. You know what's also awesome about when, you know, something like this organically happens? I just happened to see a, a horror film by a female director mm. is that you get exposed to a completely different viewpoint of horror. Like this film did not go anywhere I expected it to go. This film is insane. And it's also very cheap. This is a very cheap, insane New Zealand film that I I maybe enjoyed as much as I did because I was on holidays, but I just think the world needs to see it because so far its box office hasn't cracked a million dollars. And in 2021 dollars, that's like 10 cents. Go see this movie. My God. Yeah, it looks like there's two sets. You're on a plane and beach. And once you're yep. on the plane and the beach, that's all you got to pay for. There's not a lot on the beach. And there's also a set that's just in a almost like... A little sphere on the plane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of the film set in that little sphere in the plane. Great. Now, I just need to to give a quick disclaimer is because... As long as you're not apologizing for anything, like I'm, I'm comfortable. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, I'm not apologizing for anything you did. And okay. I'm certainly not apologizing for anything that the co-writer Max Landis did. Now, Max Landis is a gross Hollywood dude who's written a lot of terrible things. Fuck you, Max and, Landis. And, it, you know, in 2017, started being called out and investigated for all sorts of... Uh, like sexual assaults, uh, sexual harassment sort of claims. Mm, fuck you, Max Landis. He's still listed as a co-writer, but only because 
there's some rules in the Screenwriters Guild of America where he has to have a credit, even though, according to Chloe, after they found out about all these allegations, they rewrote the film again, and Roseanne did most of the actual writing of the film as well. So he doesn't really have a credit on it, but yes, if you look up this film, you will see that it says it was co-written by a guy called Max Landers, who is gross. So let's just clear the air right there. Yeah, maybe that, that makes us all feel comfortable about the low box office numbers and gets us excited for the sequel with good people only coming soon. All right, so now this isn't in the Wikipedia synopsis, but mm. just because I saw it very recently and it's still fresh in my mind, it starts with a pretend old-timey cartoon. And old-timey cartoons are exactly the same as old-timey music where it's like, good day, Joe, what's going on <laughs> sort of thing, right? And in this old-timey cartoon, it's it's 1940X, sometime yeah, in World, World War, War II. II. Yep. There is a workman working on one of those big b-52 bombers but he's drinking on the job and the narrator of the cartoons like hey joe do you think you should be drinking on the job and he's like well like like and i imagine this was a serious problem pre any sort of public information about the dangers of any sort of alcohol like use and work Mm. but yeah so it's basically like don't use alcohol on the job or you do a bad job And he's like, no, I'm not doing a bad job. It's gremlins causing all the problems with this plane. And the cartoon's like, Joe, it's not gremlins. It's your alcohol abuse. Clean up your act. And you won't have to pretend gremlins are breaking the plane. Now, obviously, obviously, that's a lot of foreshadowing for what's going to happen in this film. And I love this film, but one thing I can't accuse this film of being is subtle. And again, (laughs) subtlety is not an important thing in the horror genre. But this film wants you to know from the beginning what's it about and what it wants to say about the world. Sick. I'm excited. Alcohol's bad. Gremlins don't exist or do they? (laughs) I'm on deck. (laughs) Well, actually, I don't think alcohol really comes back into it at all. (laughs) But yes, gremlins definitely don't exist. Yeah. Or do they? they? In August 1943, Maud Garrett, a female flight officer, is assigned to travel with top secret documents from Auckland, New Zealand to Samoa. However, as soon as she arrives at the airbase, she witnesses a ground crew ramper inexplicably disappearing before her eyes, just before suddenly finding herself standing right in front of her transport, a B-17 bomber christened the Fool's Errand. Now again, uh, like, if, if, if there was ever an opportunity okay. in this film for them to use the naming of something to foreshadow, Roseanne takes it. Okay, that's so it's called the it's called The Fool's Errand. Uh, no, so so she great joins... name for a plan. <laughs> <laughs> I know you call it like the always makes yeah. it home. <laughs> the, the safely the safe flyer. <laughs> now, because she's been added to this, uh, well, because she's been assigned to this bomber last minute, and because she's a woman. Now, I have mm. to take a step out. This is that genre of not just feminist, but I, I, I guess message laden films where they take a character from a minority, in this Mm. case, uh, purely a woman, and they put them in a time period where it was normal for them to be discriminated against. 
this is Leonardo DiCaprio in Django Unchained. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So through the lens of now to be like, oh God, feminism rules, sort of thing, right? Like it's very, it's very in your face because all these guys are like, what would a woman know about flying, right? Like oh it's and they make a the film makes a big deal about this, but it's building to a point. There's okay. a reason why it's doing that, but I can understand why at the start people are like, yeah, we get it. Like the forties fu- sucked. <laughs> like it sucked to be a woman in the army in the forties. Totally. All right. So the bombers crew gives her a mostly derisive welcome and she's quartered in the Sperry. So that's the little ball cockpit gunner thing at the yep. bottom of the plane for the takeoff. Uh, with no room left for her document back. So she's brought on this important document back and the whole film she's like, now, what's in this bag is more important than anyone on this plane. It's the reason why I was assigned. This comes right from the top. So you can't look in this bag, but also I have to hang on to it. And they're like, well, there's no room there for it. And she's like, but it has to stay upright and I can't let go. And then the one guy who's not being like, oh, Dame, what's a Dame going to know about flying? The one guy who's like, guys, lay off her, is the guy who's like, I'll keep it safe. His name's Walter Quaid and he's like, I'll store it. She's like, okay. Now, when she goes down there, they start chatting over the comms, not realizing that she can listen in because she's Mm. actually, you know, an Air Force officer and not just a dame. Mm. And they start saying, like, totally fucked stuff about her till she joins in and she's like, guys, I think this is pretty fucked. But And then, you know, doesn't just go, hey, stop it. It's like, do you guys actually know this stuff? And just, like, sort of one-ups them on her knowledge of, like, you know, the, the Air Force and such. The Air Force and flying and stuff. But of course they don't listen. They're like, ah, you idiot, you dame, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. So, so when she's down there and she witnesses just the faint hint of some sort of creature clinging to the underside of one of the bomber's wings, she reports it. But most of the crew, except one of them who sights it, Beckel, dismisses it. So... They're basically like, okay, first of all, we don't know why you're on here. You won't tell us why. And now you're saying there are gremlins on the plane. That's ridiculous. Stop it. And she's like, but I saw it. And there's also like the actual, our experience of it is that we only see glimpses of it. Okay. And it's incredibly scary. Like you can imagine they do some really good shots of her just looking out a screen of like a panel of this Sperry Mm. where we can just see clouds passing and you're just waiting to see something. And then most of those shots, they might do three shots. Two of the shots, you see nothing. And one shot, you might just see a claw just go past. Oh, nice. Yes, well-crafted. It's extremely well done. Like for considering as well, you can tell they just don't have much budget for both being in a plane, but also, you know, having some sort of a creature. They do incredibly well. Fantastic. When she's allowed to exit the turret, the hatch malfunctions trapping her inside and they're basically like you must have done this and she's like i know how these hatches work it's clearly been broken off and that's when we start to realize okay well this creature is actually a gremlin and it's actually tearing apart this plane while we're in the air while we're flying over i guess between new zealand and samoa i don't know my geography so well but i i'm assuming ocean yeah they're going to be flying over the ocean right they're not going to be flying over australia or over another country quite so When she reacts indignantly to the crew's comments about a situation, they abandon their attempts to open the hatch. And then the worst thing is they just cut off the comms so she can't hear anything. So now she's stuck in the Sperry and she can't hear what's happening above. Now, at this point, 
she sees a Japanese scouting plane appearing and disappearing close to the bomber. So not only is there Mm -hmm. a gremlin, we're starting to realize, okay, there's like an enemy combatant in the air. Now, everyone on the plane is like, we know how this works. The Japanese haven't developed a plane that can fly this close. She's like, that looks like a scout plane that they've been using for combat now. And it's definitely flying this close. I'm having the best time. This is a great movie. So she sees this, Mm. but before she has time to react, she's abruptly attacked by the creature, a gremlin. She fights it off, but ends up injured. And at this point, this gremlin has broken through the glass and she's basically holding this thing together by like positioning her hands and legs in different ways. Now, remember, she's at the bottom of a glass ball on a plane in the 1940s (sighs) and she's holding it together with her arms while she's also dealing with a gremlin gremlin and a very obvious patriarchy. Like there's a lot going on for Chloe Grace Moretz right now. When the crew opens the comms again to ask her about what happened because they hear a gun go off because she has a gun with her and she shoots this thing. When the crew contacts her again to ask her about what happened, she at this point realizes every time she says anything, they make a big deal out of it. And the only way she's going to get around this is to not like the only way she's basically going to get out of this Sperry is to not talk about this gremlin and not talk about this gun going off. So she's like, wasn't a gun. Something just hit the hot. There a bird hit the oh, hot. They're like, "Well, that's a bird that sounds like a gun." She's like, "That's what happened. I don't have a gun down here. There's nothing happening. Everything's cool." But I have seen this Japanese fighter. At this point, a radio message comes in telling them that a Maud Garrett doesn't exist and is not registered for the flight. Nice. And then they're like, "Well, we were all right. Of course, we were right. You're not some flight officer. Like, who are you? And why are you endangering this flight?" When they intend to take her out for questioning. Moore deliberately jams the turret's gears and prepares to defend herself when the Japanese plane reappears and attacks. Taking control of the guns in the turret, she shoots it down and she finally wins the crew's grudging respect. Okay, like that would be thrilling, I presume, to watch. An amazing moment, right? So think about all the things that are happening. And most of this film so far has been set in this small glass bubble. Yeah, okay. While continuing to converse with the crew, Maud admits that she's actually married and boarded the bomber under her maiden name, but refuses to tell about her mission, citing its confidentiality. Then she sees the gremlin as it continues to sabotage the plane, and eventually Dawn cites it too, but the others disregard him. So, so far, two other members have mm. seen it, but everyone's like, you're idiots, you're just going crazy, there's no gremlin, they don't exist. Mm. Which is fair enough. Yeah, John Lithgow in the Twilight Zone movie. You know, I'm there. I'm having fun. Suspecting Maud's assignment to be the cause for their misfortunes, Reeves gives the order to open the bag. Now, there's a fight over this, and especially the guy holding the bag's like, I'm not going to give this up. But eventually they wrestle it from him, and they open the bag. Sick. And Peach, what do you reckon they find in the bag? Like, I also just love a juicy MacGuffin that turns out to be a real thing. So I, there is the skeleton of a gremlin in there. There's a, a corpse, a stuffed gremlin, the corpse of a gremlin. So they find a baby, an alive baby that had been subdued before the flight with some sort of 1940s like knockout drugs. What? And it turns out that both Maud and Quaid, the guy who pretended to just be the nice guy and stepped up, have an extramarital child. 
Now, Maud is what? actually married. It's both of their children. Yes. So, okay. Maud is actually married to the commander who she said her mission came from, who's a awful, violent, jealous man. And he basically found out about what was going on and was coming onto the airbase to basically kill her. So all she could do was join this flight, hopefully board it to Samoa, get off there and disappear with Quaid. Now, just as Captain Reeves turns back to the airbase, three more Japanese fighters come in and the gremlin boards the bomber at the same time. So, They've got a lot on their plate, a lot of balls being juggled. That's good. So the gremlin boards the bomber, injures Quaid, and kidnaps the 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 the, the, the child, the, the, the bag containing the baby. When the gremlin appears, so so now now remember, like Maud is still stuck in this sperry. Mm. She then sees the gremlin underneath the wing crawl out from underneath the wing, holding the like the the shoulder strap of this bag carrying the baby that's just swinging in the air thousands of kilometers above the ocean right and she's like i don't know what to do she exits the turret fires a handgun at it driving it off but leaving the bag basically just hanging in a precarious position from the ventral hole so she has no other choice but to leave this thing and climb across the underside of the plane while it's flying while it's being attacked by japanese fighters across the wing to save this baby. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. So Maud retrieves her child. She does so, so obviously this Wikipedia can't do it justice, but she manages to retrieve her child, reboards the plane through an opening from the now blown off Sperry. Because what, as she gets off, it's lucky she does because the Sperry gets blown off by another pass from the Japanese fighters. There's also this amazing moment where... She then falls out of the hole, but one of the Japanese fighters underneath the plane blows up and the explosion blows her back into the plane. It's oh, one of the coolest, God, most amazing. fast and furious moments ever yeah. in a film I've seen in a while. And especially for a film that has no budget like this. It's so cool. Sick. So the gremlin attacks again, throwing Taggart out of the plane before Maud can evict it. Uh, when a bunch of the other people are killed by Japanese gunfire, Maud takes command and brings the plane roughly but safely down to the ground. It seems like they have finally made it to at least, it looks like Samoa. Oh, God. Um, and they're on the ground. The bag is safe. Uh, Quaid is injured, but he's safe. So they've made it. And at this point, the gremlin reappears and grabs the bag and runs off. Now, this is where the movie just gets cool. This is where I was, like, cheering, right? The movie gets cool as hell. (laughs) So Maud at this point isn't scared of the gremlin. Like, the gremlin is just, like, it's just like a bat sort of thing. Yeah, it sort of looked vampire batty. Yeah, it's scary, but it's not super scary. The scariness Mm. is at the start when you're seeing things. It quickly becomes an action movie after that. Like, the first half of the film is very much horror, and the second half of the film is very much action. She's like, oh, no, you don't. She just basically runs after this thing and just kicks its ass. She's just like, this thing is no match for her. She just kicks the shit out of it, kills it, and uses, like, it has these, like, blades that appear out, or I guess blade bones that appear out of its arm. She uses one of them to slit its own throat. (laughs) Then retrieves the baby, and she goes back, and she hangs with the other survivors while they watch the plane blow up. Thrilling. Now then... 
this is where it's like it's it's both cool like this was actually the moment where i was like i guess for me it, it made sense all of the shitty patriarchy stuff at the the start because then she becomes the action movie mm. hero at the end like it just makes her basically saving the whole day feel so much better and then just to ground it all at the very end i mean again i was in holiday mode but i was almost in tears over the credits, they roll archival footage of women serving in the British and American World War II Air Forces. Magic, magic, magic. Shag, that's the perfect movie. Like, I, I if that if that counts as a spooko film, I think that's an argument we can save for another day. But I think we can just have a have a tear roll down our cheek and just a standing ovation for a thrilling film. That was super fun. Dude, like Roseanne Leanne Gerrata, what a director. Chloe Grace Moretz, watch more of her films. Yeah. Try to, and also homework, try to have a film. So when people like Chloe Grace Moretz mm. have that film that you can go, that's the film she's in. Shag, next time we talk, I promise that I'm going to be able to name three Chloe Grace Moretz <laughs> films. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's... What's up?